I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Where To Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And today, we are in Madrid. We are in Madrid. The season finale. The season finale. I should have mentioned that at the top of the episode. Yes, this is, (laughs) listener, this is the last episode of this season. Fear not, we'll be back really, really soon. But we've got a cracker of an episode for you. We really, really do. I'm really excited. I know I said this about every episode, (laughs) but I am genuinely super excited to go to Madrid with today's guest. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know tons about Madrid. Um, It's horribly one of my childhood best friends, Alan. Hello, Alan. Hi, Alan. Um, uh, Moved there about 15 years ago and I've meant I promised him a visit for a long long time and I've never done it oh and no so James I'm, I am due to go to Madrid at some point so I'm really interested to find out more well my friend Tom lives in Barcelona so I've been to Barcelona hi Tom I've been hi, to Tom. Barcelona umpteen times but he is potentially moving to Madrid so James ah. we have got to make it our 2024 mission that we are going to go to Madrid yes let's do it let's definitely do it <laughs> and likewise I've been to Barcelona quite a few times I've been to Valencia I've been elsewhere in Spain but yeah, not Madrid I know. And it's a big big hole missing yeah, that we my... need to we need to fill that hole Yes, yes. So let's do it. Before we start, though, we have a competition for you guys, listeners. So much like we did a couple of weeks ago with Vienna, we have a copy of DK Witness Madrid, as well as our new book, Europe by Train, to give away. Uh, To win, all you have to do is go into social media, tag at DK Witness, and tell us what our guest, Benjamin, we haven't introduced him yet, we will do, is talking about here. But it certainly is a a fun, colourful story that maybe says a lot about... um, Spanish society or something. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't expecting anything quite that grisly, I must say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so you can enter that competition now just by going to at DK Witness and telling us what you thought Benjamin was talking about. And you can find the T's and C's on our website. But should we welcome our guest, Lucy? Yes, you've obviously hinted at Benjamin. Yes, yes. Uh, so tell us more. Tell, tell us about Benjamin. New England native Benjamin Kemper lives in Madrid, where he works as the travel editor at Sever, covering travel, food and culture. And he's also worked on various Spain-related photos guides, so he really is an expert. Welcome, Benjamin. Thank you so much. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to Where To Go. So as usual, we're going to begin with learning a little bit more about our guest, Benjamin, followed by his all-important recommendations on where to go and insider knowledge of Madrid. Then we'll hear about the best time to go, plus how you can travel more thoughtfully when visiting the city. So Benjamin, you have your cooking column, One Pot Bangers. Uh, You're a senior editor covering food and travel. It seems safe to say that food is a big, big thing for you. 
Where does that come from? Boy, that's a tough question, but I would say that it started with my mom, actually.、Um, like many people who are interested in food,、um, my mom was a very experimental cook、uh, when I was little and would take me grocery shopping with her. We would spend a long time at the grocery store. I actually used to love going with her. And then when she would cook, she would often. Um, you know, call me downstairs and she would ask me, you know, taste this. What do you think this needs? And this is, you know, we're talking about a very young age. And so I think that really developed my palate and got me really interested in food and flavors. Like I was the weird kid who had hummus in his lunchbox when, you know, in the, in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I come from a,、um, at least on my mom's side, a big Jewish family, and food was always a really central part of, of our culture. As anyone who knows Jewish people can attest. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, Benjamin, you're king of travel. But when you're not working, does, it, does that food, that love for food, really influence where you're choosing to travel to? Oh, totally.、Um, for me, the more obscure, the better.、Um, the、okay. less I know about a cuisine, the more、uh, attracted I am to the place. And, <laughs> you know, when I'm on the ground in a new city, especially, One of the first places I go to is、um, like a grocery store just to see you know, how people are cooking at home and what products they have there that might be different from what I can find in the US and in Spain. Like, I just got back from Finland and I was shocked to find an, like a half of an aisle devoted to licorice. <laughs> I'm、yes. like, wow, these people love their licorice. <laughs> they like, love licorice.、Okay. <laughs> Did you try any? Did you have some? I did. You know, I really liked it. There's a certain saline quality to licorice that, that's, that's really nice. So, how, how did you kind of come to live in Madrid? Was that entirely food related or was it kind of a food cultural thing? Yeah.、Um, you know, I was a real language geek in high school, and something about the sound of the language、um, just really drew me in from a very young age. And then、um, when I was 15,、uh, my town did an exchange、um, in the summer with. Um, a Spanish school here in Madrid. And to have like, you know, 50 to 100 15 year old Spaniards coming from the capital of Spain to a small town in Connecticut, they kind of, it was like quite the invasion. And、um, wow. they just fascinated me, you know, they dressed differently, they acted differently.、Um, and I remember thinking, this is a really cool culture. And、um, so the following summer, I actually came to Spain and I stayed with a family here. And、um, I just had such an incredible time, you know, living in a city, living in Europe. It was my first, you know, trip to Europe. And, I, you know, what they say is true about Americans. We come to Europe and we're like, oh my God, the cobblestone streets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and <laughs> there's just a certain like joie de vivre、um, that you really feel in Madrid. And I felt it at that age and I continue to feel it now. And so、um, when I finished. That month, I just remember thinking at age 15, like, I gotta live here, you know? And、yeah. a lot of stuff happened in between. I went to college in Boston, I moved to New York and worked in、um, hospitality, marketing, and PR for a while, and in, in,、um, as a sommelier.、Um, but then, you know, the Madrid itch was always there. And so there's a program here called、um, Auxiliares de Conversacion, which is a really long and garbled way of saying、um, language assistant. And it's one of the only ways for Americans to actually get visas to come to Spain. And、um, so I decided I was going to take a year of sabbatical, come teach English, screw around, travel Europe.、Um, and one year turned into what's nine in September. So it's、oh, been a minute.、Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you've got the big 10th anniversary next year then. Yeah. <laughs> did you experience any culture shocks, Benjamin, when you moved? I sure did. The biggest one, I think, coming from. Um, a very kind of work centric culture and family in the States is that in Spain,、um, people view work differently overall. So there are two things that really astonished me from the start. One is that, you know, you could be at a party meeting a bunch of new people and you, you'd leave and you'd realize that no one had asked you what you do for work. <laughs> and in America, that would be unthinkable, right? That would be almost the first question that you ask. You're like, what's your name? Oh, cool. And what do you do? You know?、Um, There's something that's almost considered to be a bit vulgar about that here.、Um, mm. It's a bit too intimate. Like, we're out partying. Why would we want to talk about work? <laughs> and so that was, yeah. yeah, that was one thing. And then,、um, yeah, and related to that as well is that I've never in all of my years here had a Spanish friend cancel plans because they had to stay late at work. 
It's just not in the culture. And that would happen to me all the time in New York when I lived in London for a bit. It also <laughs> happened. I mean, how many times yeah. do you get that text that's like, you know what? Really sorry. Can't hang tonight. Got to stay late at work. It just, it's inconceivable here. <laughs> I mean, that, ha- that yeah. happens all the time in London. Yeah. And- uh, we're both nodding. Listeners can't see. We're, we're, James and I are both nodding enthusiastically <laughs> because I, feel, I, feel like, I think I'd, I've done that as well. I feel well. like me and Lucia cancel plans with each other, potentially, don't you? <laughs> exactly. <a>, <laughs> quite possible um but yeah that's a it, it's really interesting as well and so do you, would mm. you say that they kind of like prioritize almost their outside of work time their their sort of family friends time and stuff over over working life absolutely um and i think that there's also a certain sensitivity around um employment because the the unemployment is so high here so hmm. I think there's a certain cultural element, but there's also just that kind of stark reality that, especially among uh, younger people, unemployment remains a pretty big issue. Mm. Were there any other kind of culture shocks when you when you kind of moved to Madrid? For sure. I mean, the meal times are totally <laughs> wacky, out of control, okay. <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> so, um, you know, Spaniards uh, traditionally eat five meals a day. You have breakfast and then you have the almuerzo and then you have the comida and then the merienda and then cena, dinner. So, you know, you're eating little bites throughout the day. Now, most people don't eat like that nowadays, but one thing that has remained is this very, very late dinner time. Mm. So, you know, when my parents come and visit, they're used to um, booking a dinner reservation at 6.30, 7 o'clock. Well, most restaurants in Madrid actually don't even begin taking reservations until 8 or 8.30 p.m. So you can make a reservation at 11 p.m. at some restaurants. Um, Unfortunately, I've kind of adapted to that culture myself and I've become quite a night owl. I was going to say, have you you adapted? Because I I think, yeah, but by the time, if I'm eating at 10 o'clock, I... get a bit hangry um <laughs> don't know, yeah. i don't know if you, you're completely past that now <laughs> yeah i'm i think i'd say i'm fully assimilated it definitely helps that this time of year it gets dark at like 10 30 p.m or something <laughs> it's just really yeah. long days yeah true. how about a spanish siesta then are you taking part in those benjamin oh, the... is that a myth <laughs> one of the do, do, do the spanish really take siestas the spanish i would say overall mostly don't take siestas anymore Um, But shops still close, um, especially family run shops, you know, in markets, traditional markets, um, you know, between 2 and 5.30 p.m. um, That's when you can bank on most smaller businesses being closed. And frankly, this time of year when it's, you know, um, 40 degrees Celsius heat outside, 110 degrees Fahrenheit ish, um, that siesta is almost (laughs) like your body just asks for it <laughs> begs for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean actually that's there's a, there's a good point there as well where you know coming from new england where it's mostly quite a temperate climate most of the, throughout most of the year can get some quite chilly in the winter um but 40 degree summers must be must be something else right oh yeah i'm basically melting all day <laughs> <laughs> Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see why you went to Finland now. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and sort of just before we get on with your kind yeah. of like best things to do and recommendations about Madrid, uh, what do you love most about the city? What has kept you there for nine years? Boy, I mean, I just love that anytime I walk outside my apartment, there's stuff going on in the street. Um, I just got back from the Baltics. I was in Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And it was just so quiet. (laughs) I went to the Baltic region on a solo trip and I was just astonished by how quiet the streets were. Mm. Like I would come out of the hotel and I would be thinking, where are all the people? (laughs) In Madrid, you come downstairs and, you know, there's somebody sharpening knives in the back of his van. There's there are a bunch of elderly ladies sipping coffee on the terrace below my apartment. And, um, you know, that street life, that pulse has is it, it's invigorating. And um, I think anybody who's been to Madrid and who's been to Spain, they might not get it on a first trip, but they definitely feel that pulse. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. there's definitely an energy to sort of Spanish cities. Um, so I think that's a really good introduction to your best things to do. So let's kick off that section. Okay, Benjamin, to kick things off, we're going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions about Madrid. So we're going to name a few categories and you have to just suggest just one thing to do. Are you ready? Yes. 
cool. Bring it on. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we're going to start with your favorite view of Madrid. Oh, this one's easy. This is um, a park called El Ferro del Tío Pío, which is also known as the Park of the Seven Boobies because it has seven <laughs> <laughs> kind of small humps or protuberances, if you will. Um, and from there, you can see the whole Madrid skyline with the uh, Sierra de Guadarrama mountains in, in the background especially on a clear day. It's really great. Stellar answer. <laughs> Excellent answer. <laughs> Started with a bag. I love it. Okay, Benjamin, this one I think you might find harder. Is your favorite thing to eat? Ooh, okay, this one for me has to be a slice of tortilla española from um, a market stall in Mercado de la Paz called Casa Dani. Um, okay. I love it because... It's like ushi-gushi potato tortilla, like that family, like not cooked all the way through. And it also has lots of caramelized onions in it, which I personally really, really like. And yeah, you eat one one slice of, of the tortilla. And um, yeah, if you ask me that question about the siesta again, you know, I might give you a different answer and just say it's <laughs> mandatory. Necessary, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Casadani, remember. Okay, and this might also be quite, as a former sommelier, this might be also be quite tricky. Uh, your favorite thing to drink? Yeah, you know, I, um, I, I kind of stopped my sommelier career because I think I'm just maybe a bit more of a down-to-earth kind of guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, my favorite thing to drink in Madrid is a vermouth, um, a red vermouth on any, on any like patio, on any plaza. <laughs> Um, preferably with ice and a slice of orange and an olive. Lovely. Lovely. I also really like the fact that you added a setting to that answer. That makes the drink, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Gotta be outdoors. <laughs> totally. <laughs> At like 1pm. 1pm. It's a, an aperitif, you know? So before Perfect. you go and you have your big lunch, have a vermu. Vermu with no T-H. V-E-R-M-U. <laughs> Got it. And then Benjamin, how about your favorite day activity? You know, lately I've really been enjoying uh, going to Casa de Campo, which is kind of the, the underrated park in Madrid. It's six times the size of Central Park. It's absolutely enormous. And there are all sorts of trails in there. But what I really love is this lake um, that they have sort of at the beginning of the park. And there are all of these lakeside um, restaurants where you can sit out right on the lake, you know, have a nice drink, have a nice meal. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, spending the day taking a little hike and then finishing up with a nice cold beer on the lake. Um, I don't know if it gets much better than that. <laughs> Agreed. I don't think it really does, does it? And then moving on to your favorite museum or gallery. Hmm, this one for me, it has to be Museo Sorolla. So this is kind of an underrated museum. Um, it's the mansion and home and studio of um, Joaquin Sorolla, who was a famous surrealist painter. Um, the whole house is kind of kept the way that he left it and is just filled with all of art that he, art that he either painted himself or collected over his life. It's one of those museums where you can be in and out in an hour and feel like you really saw some cool stuff. So yeah, that would be my choice for, for best, um, museum. It's going to be very unpopular response because, you know, the Prado is here, the Reina Sofia, the Tizen, all these incredible, like, gold mines. But for me, I love a kind of a digestible yeah. Uh, museum it's a really good great answer. answer really really great answer i think you've passed with flying colors the quick fire round Woo! <laughs> i've never known anyone to do the quick fire round so quickly well done but, uh, but eloquently as well you <laughs> gave us really lovely context and, thank uh, you benjamin and you slightly dropped in a little bit of like kind of uh, uh, some other alternatives too i aim to please <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to allow you just to quickly kind of um give it given food and drink is very much you know a, a big thing that you've based your writing career on the opportunity to just give us one or two more things to eat or drink should you wish to share them as well oh yeah well um i'm really big on old school kind of spanish castilian comfort food so i think that you really cannot leave madrid without trying um the classic winter dish which is cocido madrileño which is a stew that's sort of brimming with I don't know, 10 different types of pork products. You have your chorizo, blood sausage, pork belly. Um, usually a whole chicken goes in there as well. And it's just one of these like all out um, Madrid feasts that everybody should try. Um, I recommend trying that at a place called Malacatin in La Latina, which is 
pretty delicious, but make sure that you book it in, in advance because that's the place that a lot of locals love to go as well. Okay. I also love, in the same vein, there's a, a dish from the north of Spain called fabada, which is, um, it's like a bean stew. It's sort of mm. Spain's answer to cassoulet. And what makes it so special is that the beans are called um, faves de la granja, and they, they're like about the size of your thumb. They're really, really long and really, really creamy. And the soup is, it's just so simple and smoky and delicious. And you can try a great version at uh, Casa Hortensia, it's called, with an H. God, I could go for days. <laughs> it, it's, it's a kind of like a vegetarian soup then, or is it with, uh, with, with sort of different meats and stuff as well? Or can you get varieties of it? A vegetarian soup in Spain. <laughs> wow. Wow. Good I one. just wanted to make Tell sure. Another. I just wanted to make sure. It's, <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, there are plenty of vegetarian options for people who come here, um, especially if you kind of stick to like um, all the potato things are fabulous. Um, but no, the stews are pretty hardcore and they always have some type of pork and usually a mixture of pork and beef and chicken kind of all mixed together. So this particular dish, fabada, is, is made with, um, blood sausage and chorizo and, um, and pork belly. And all those are, are extra smoky because that region really loves its smoked meats. And then, you know, I always encourage people to kind of branch out, get out of their comfort zones a little bit. Madrid is a city where you can try some really fabulous, um, kind of off meats, off cuts. Um, Madrileños love kidneys, pig ear, sweetbreads, things like that. And a place to go and try all that stuff is uh, Casa Toni, T-O-N-I. And that's, it's in the city center. It's a really old school kind of greasy spoon spot. But, you know, if you've never tried pig ear before and you want to give it a shot, this is the spot. They do a really, really good job. They've been in business for decades, if not even longer. Okay, well, there we go. We've got your, all your pig ear requirements. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think that's the first pig, pig ear we've had in the pod, right? It is. I think but, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, nice to have some specific recommendations for listeners, Benjamin. Thank you. And actually, speaking of specifics, sort of zooming out of food, what are some highlights that listeners shouldn't miss in the city at large? Yeah, well, I would say that... Um, a lot of the most exciting things happening in food right now are happening in the markets. And when I say markets, I don't mean um, the place where you just go and buy, you know, your fruit, your meat, your poultry and go home. Mm-hmm. But um, rather markets that are these kind of hybrid, um, hybrid establishments now where you can, yes, you can go and buy your fruit, but you can also have, you know, a three course meal at a really funky restaurant. Um, part of the reason why, uh, a lot of the culinary vanguard uh, is is um, happening in the markets is because the overhead to open uh, a stall in a market is much lower than it is to mm-hmm. open a brick and mortar restaurant. And so what you have is, you know, younger people who would otherwise maybe be um, priced out of the restaurant market, find an opportunity to um, to plant some roots and to experiment and the whole, the whole thing is just really fun. You know, you go and oftentimes you're standing around, um, you're taking food from one stall and then from another stall and you're kind of going to a central area with your friends and you have kind of this feast where everybody's just standing around and talking and, and all that. And so specifically, I would recommend hitting up uh, Mercado de San Fernando in the Lava Pies neighborhood. Um, my favorite natural wine bar is there. It's called Bendito Vinos. Uh, I actually used to work there for a time. It's a it's a fun little spot, and the owner there is friends with a lot of the Spanish winemakers. Um, so you get really like limited release bottles. Sometimes the bottles don't even have labels on them. He's like, you know, this is from a friend who brought it in yesterday, <laughs> and you know, for natural wine lovers, doesn't really get much better than that. And then um, there's a mar- market called Mercado de Vallehermoso. Um, which I would say is sort of the culinary North Star of Madrid right now. Just there's so much interesting stuff happening there. There's a restaurant called Batch that um, that does sort of small plates. They're very seasonal, all complemented by um, small production, mostly natural wines. They also sell um, like fermented products and jars of um, of stuff that you look at and you're like, what's that? And, and I need it right now. <laughs> and then... Um, there's also a restaurant in, in, in there called um, El Dos, um, like the number two. And uh, that, that, that spot's been getting really great reviews. Um, it's high on my list, and I'd recommend that people check it out as well. I am super hungry. Yeah, just... 
<laughs> I think it's one of this food chat. Um, I really hope this is not here. My stomach rumbling. <laughs> yeah, so another thing that a lot of people don't know about Madrid that I learned when I got here is that Madrid has a pretty um, diverse uh, immigrant community And especially, um, there, there are pretty large Chinese and West African um, immigrant populations here, which translates into surprisingly excellent Chinese food and especially Senegalese food. And so there's a Chinatown um, in Madrid that most people don't even know exists, and it's on the other side of the river. It's called Uceda. And it's unlike any Chinatown that I've been to in the U.S., where, you, where it feels a little bit disnified in some ways, um, This is really a place where um, Chinese people are living. Um, they're going to their own restaurants. They are, um, you know, living in a very tight-knit community. And so to see that and to have it not be any type of tourist attraction at all is something that I, I would recommend to any um, food lover who enjoys getting off the beaten path. Oh, cool. Um, and what, are there any specific recommendations of where you've loved to go in Chinatown? Um, you know, I was thinking about this before the call, and the places that I love to go to most actually have they're like on google maps they're just chinese characters <laughs> right. i don't even know what they're called i couldn't <laughs> tell you but what i can say is that if you just walk around in that area if you get off the metro at the uceda stop and just walk around that area you're going to find some really banging chinese food <laughs> excellent <Cool>. excellent <laughs> any further madrid highlights Yeah, there's one more, you know, for, I don't know if um, your listeners, I imagine they do, if they enjoy, you know, traditional ceramics, housewares, uh, mm. artisanally made Spanish products. But one thing that I've really loved seeing in recent years is sort of a return to, you know, Spain's artistic history. They're in restaurants right now. I'm noticing that there are a lot of people are serving their dishes on, um, you know, plates that are 100 years old or things that you would see at your grandma's house that maybe even five, 10 years ago would have been, been considered like too old hat or tacky. But mm -hmm. the square plate, which you know what I mean by when I say like the square plate, like when you go to a restaurant and they give you a, um, a dish on a plate and it's square and it usually has a tuft of microgreens on top and some sauce like squirted around the sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, that is on its way out in Spain. And I'm noticing more and more um, kind of simple preparations presented on the types of plates that say your abuela would have given you. I think people are seeking comfort after the pandemic and... And that's a part of it. Anyway, to stock up on those things, um, I recommend this store called Cocol, C-O-C-O-L. And it's on one of the most beautiful squares in Madrid, Plaza de la Paja, which is where um, a lot of the city's commerce happened even before the Plaza Mayor um, became the main character. And um, at that store, you can find all sorts of stuff. They have linens, they have... Um, Are, you know, beautifully made ceramics, um, antique wicker baskets. Anyway, I just, I can't go in there and not drop like a hundred bucks. So if yeah. you are on a budget, actually maybe don't go. <laughs> It's quite dangerous. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want your budget to be gone immediately, there you go. Um, but no, no square plates in sight then, Benjamin, I'm guessing. Uh, no, not in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, and you may have covered this already, Benjamin. Uh, I think you, there's quite a, a lot that we've already gone through in terms of like best kept secrets. But are there any other best kept secrets around Madrid that you'd be willing to share with us? Definitely. Um, a couple more come to mind. You know, the classic spot to go and get churros, which as your listeners probably know, are those long donuts, basically. Most people in Madrid go straight to San Ginés, which is sort of like, if you've been to New Orleans, the um, like Café du Monde. It's just super famous. It's a, 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 a traditional um, kind of iconic spot. But to me, the churros at San Ginés are good, but they're not great. And what's really not great there is the uh, melted chocolate. It's just not great quality. Um, So I always recommend that people um, go to San Ginés for the vibes. And then if they really love churros, you should go to a place called Chocolat, which is like chocolate, but in French. And it's a pretty small churreria and they make all the churros to order. So they're always really hot, really crackly. I recommend getting a mixture of churros and porras, which are kind of, porras are like churros, but they're thicker, they're chewier, they have baking soda in them. So they're kind of have a, a yeah, like a, a, a wider kind of chewier crumb to them. And at this place, the chocolate's actually pretty decent. So yeah, go to Chocolat, have some churros, have some porras, um, and yeah, live it up. <laughs> that's awesome. that's a, 
a good tip. We need to stop doing these episodes near the time, I am, Lucy. I this is really horrible. I, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly really struggling i'm so hungry apologies <laughs> that that's great that's great benjamin and yeah i, I would absolutely love a churro right now yeah. any of the best kept secrets as well that you can let some listeners in on for sure there's another um so madrid is a a, a taberna town um mm-hmm. you know rome has its his trattorias um london has its pubs and madrid has its taverns its tabernas um and when you say taberna we're talking about a place where you go um, and you usually stand at the bar, you have um, uh, a stemless glass of whatever the house wine is, whatever tapa the barman gives you. And these places are kind of endangered and um, they're few and far between. But there are a few that um, that still exist today. And um, surprisingly, the oldest tavern in Madrid, which um, was opened in 1787, is still in existence. And I think the last time it was renovated was like 150 years ago or something. And so you really get a sense of how restaurants and taverns used to be in Madrid, you know, before um, international immigration, um, definitely before the Civil War. And so this particular tavern, it's called um, Antonio Sanchez, and it has a little bit of fun trivia to it. Um, They say that, uh, you know, anyway, in the basement of this uh, tavern, there are all these wine containers, these kind of big clay jugs where they used to store wine. You know, wine up until fairly recently, maybe 40 years ago, would actually arrive um, to taverns and restaurants around Madrid in bulk, and often in goatskins and sheepskins. And these would be emptied into these underground, you know, these basements where you'd have these urns where, um, you know, you'd fill them with wine and then you would take that wine up to the bar. Um, and that's, that's how people would get their wine. Anyway, in this uh, tavern, you have um, all these kind of cobwebbed um, clay vats in the basement. And one of them is called La del Frances, which means the Frenchman's um, clay vat. And the reason for that, <laughs> we're getting into some obscure food, Madrid yeah, food history I here. I love it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> so they say that um, during the Peninsular War, which was the beginning of the 19th century, um, in in Madrid, you had, um, you know, these, the, the French were invading and, you know, Napoleon's troops were invading. And um, they say that, that some gangs in the neighborhood actually got hold of one of these Frenchmen and um, decided that they were going to kill him. And so they brought him into this tavern. And so that the French armies wouldn't find his body, they hacked him up and put him in this Frenchman's <laughs> wine vat in the basement. And people, they say... Um, would go and to sort of celebrate their victory over the French and to curse the French, they would go and have wa- the wine from this vat. <laughs> so I don't think that that's true. I-, I couldn't really find any proof of it, but it certainly is a, a fun, colorful story that maybe says a lot about um, Spanish society or something. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't expecting anything quite that grisly, I must say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> So the, the, just to tr- double check, they're not using that to serve oh, wine now yeah. or anything, right? Oh, no, no, that that is still in existence. They're not filling it with wine anymore. Okay, okay, but you can okay. go, actually, if you ask them, you can, they'll usually take you downstairs um, and you can go and see it. That's cool. Yeah, that, that, is, that is cool. That is cool. That's I would want to grisly, see it, to be fair. But, yeah, cool. it's grisly, but I would want to see it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I mean, on the Taverna point of, um, as well, like, what is it that's kind of like being threatening them? You say that they're kind of like dying out. Is it kind of restaurant culture? Is it internationalism? Like Madrid being a kind of big capital city? Why are they they not as kind of frequent in Madrid as they historically would have been? A couple reasons. Uh, one is that I think people don't drink like they used to. <laughs> These were places that you would go um, on your lunch break, and you know, and you'd have um, or at right after work, and you'd have one or two or three glasses of wine. You'd have some tapas. And I think that the way people are, you know, relating to alcohol has changed a little bit. Also, of course, you have, um, you know, lots of franchises and um, bigger chain restaurants that are pushing these smaller taverns out. Mm -hmm. But it's heartening because um, when you go to these places, you often see very young people. So Mm -hmm. I would say that the new generation of madrileños and tourists as well are helping this, you know, keeping these older places alive. You know, I would say that sometimes the quality isn't quite as good as what you're going to get at a more modern Spanish restaurant. For for instance, at the place I just mentioned, like Antonio Sanchez, I actually would not recommend eating there. I would recommend going there, 
ordering a beer or a glass of wine, sitting under the taxidermy bullheads, looking around, you know, ooing and eyeing, and then going on your merry way to eat somewhere else. But I think there's a way that you can still go into these places, appreciate them for what they are, um, without having to maybe commit to the full um, taberna experience if that's not what you're looking for. Mm. Yeah, great advice, great right. advice. And I think we'll come on to that idea of sort of eating and drinking, I imagine, at more kind of local places in the next section. But before we do move on, Benjamin, how about sort of just zooming out of Madrid um, and thinking about the surrounding region? Do you have any experiences that you would champion sort of just outside of Madrid? Definitely. Well, of course, a lot of my experiences that I would recommend are related to food, because all I do is think about food, food, food. <laughs> that's all we all do. That's uh, yeah, you know, yeah. You're not alone with relate. that. That's uh, yeah. But there are lots of um, day trips that you can do outside Madrid. Um, one that I particularly enjoy is um, going to uh, El Escorial, which has this beautiful old kind of palace fortress situation. Um, but what I love about it is, yes, the palace is beautiful, of course, <laughs> but there's a restaurant there called Casa Carola that serves to what is to me the best cocido madrileño that um, that's Madrid Spanish, like that Spanish um, Madrid stew with the gar- garbanzo beans and all the pork products. They make the best version, at least in my view, at that restaurant. So, you know, you go to El Escorial, maybe you walk around the palatial grounds, you go for a little hike because you're also in the mountains up there. And then once you're done, you kind of settle in for a a big old lunch at Casa Carola. Sounds great. Brilliant. Perfect day out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the classic day trips from Madrid are Toledo, which is the old capital of Spain. It's where El Greco was born. They're it, famously, it's where um, Jews, Muslims, and Christians lived in relative peace, at least for the mm-hmm. era. And so you can still go and find some of Spain's most um, best-preserved medieval and even like you know pre-medieval buildings, uh, including a couple of synagogues and things like that. So Toledo is is amazing. Um, and then there's also Segovia, which is a bit smaller than Toledo. Um, it, it's famous for the aqueduct. It has this incredible Roman aqueduct that's held together by nothing, just just pure engineering. And Segovia is, is, I would say, almost as beautiful, if not more beautiful, because you have the backdrop of the mountains. Um, and it's a bit more manageable than Toledo. Like, if you're a real history buff and you love museums and architecture... I'd say go to Toledo, but if you're more interested in, you know, culture and kind of meandering through one car wide streets, then Segovia is probably your best bet. Cool. Amazing. Well, I think there's just so much to unpack from Madrid there. Thank you so much for your recommendations, Benjamin. And let's go on to discuss a little bit more about Madrid's present and future. With world-class museums, a rich literary heritage and legendary nightlife, Madrid is the cultural epicentre of Spain and an embodiment of the best the country has to offer. Whatever your dream trip entails, your DK Eyewitness Madrid travel guide is the perfect companion. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Benjamin, we sort of touched a bit on this in the last section, but tell us how visitors can explore Madrid a little more thoughtfully. Huh. Um, You know, that's a great question. I think a lot of us are thinking about how we can travel in a more respectful way, Um, which is, it's just really nice that that's what people are talking about now. I think for a long time, that just wasn't even part of the conversation. So I appreciate the question. I think the biggest thing that I I always recommend um, to people who are coming here 
is to actually stay in a hotel as opposed to renting an Airbnb. Um, Airbnbs are actually not even fully legal here. Um, there's a lot of kind of murkiness in terms of the legality of a lot of the Airbnbs that are being rented in Madrid. And, you know, I, I recommend this not because I hate Airbnb. I mean, I, I actually stay in Airbnbs sometimes when I travel. But in Madrid specifically, um, more than many other European cities has experienced an enormous increase in rent prices in the last um, few years. Um, I was actually just looking at some statistics about this. And in the last 10 years, rents have gone up 62%. Um, oh, wow. Now, if you think that Spanish incomes have gone up 62%, then you are like completely out of your mind. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, Spanish salaries are, are fairly low compared to um, the UK and certainly compared to the US. And so, um, and people who rent are, of course, in the most kind of precarious position um, in society. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is that Airbnb is pushing a lot of, Um, you know, everyday renters out of their apartments, including the elderly, including families, including people with disabilities. Um, and that's something that's not getting much press uh, abroad, but we certainly read about it here. And, you know, the sort of silent killer is these um, Airbnbs and these sort of rent rentable apartments that a lot of travelers stay in. And they have no idea that maybe um, the tenants that were staying there before them were a family that really needed the apartment and that the law just didn't quite, quite protect yeah yeah it's a it, i mean i think it's it's across quite a lot of like european cities i know lisbon and barcelona have had like kind of really really similar issues too and i think it's it's one that travelers can be quite aware of um, i mm. mean on the flip side of that as well in terms of like hotels and hotel culture benjamin i guess they've had a really tough time in the pandemic as well and actually you know there are lots of um like big chain hotels but then there are lots of like smaller smaller guest houses and stuff as well right i don't know if that's that much of a culture in madrid gosh you know i wish i could tell you that i had like a favorite boutique hotel in madrid that's independently owned and that's serving traditional spanish products and i frankly um i can't say that and i wish i could um people when they ask me for hotel recommendations i often kind of draw a blank so i guess i'm really giving people conflicting advice here <laughs> i mean i'm saying don't rent you know don't rent an airbnb but also you know most of the hotels are big chains there are a couple that do have some um, personality and that are uh, locally owned one that i that i do recommend um pretty frequently is um posada del leon it's in the city center it's right on the main kind of tapas drag called cababaja uh they also have a really good wine list um But yeah, you know, if anybody's listening out there and wants to open an independently run gorgeous little hotel in Madrid, oh, I would love to see do that it. happen. <laughs> yeah, do it. Please do it. Hopefully this is a start of something. The other thing I would say is that, and maybe this goes without saying, but a little Spanish really does go a long way. Spain mm. is not like a lot of Latin American countries where you know, the English level can be pretty good among people of almost all ages, especially in the cities. In Madrid, it's, it's possible and even probable that you're going to find yourself in situations where someone does not speak English or refuses to. Um, you know, the older generation, especially, um, you know, English was not a huge focus of education until the last few decades. And so if you go into a, a traditional market or a traditional tapas bar, the person taking your order might not speak a damn word of English. And so it just pays to at least to try, you know, people like to see that you're yeah. trying <laughs> yeah. and then maybe they'll yeah. try, you know, then you always figure it out. Right. But, um, just always starting with an hola, a buenos dias. When you walk into a store, um, it just goes a really long way instead of wa walking in and kind of saying hello, <laughs> um, right off yes. the bat. Speak yes. English, etc. Yeah. Table <laughs> exactly. two, please. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Great. And so thinking a little bit more in the sort of present and, you know, what's left of 2023, if anyone's looking to visit Madrid around the corner, are there any particular events uh, coming up to mark, uh, which, you know, visitors should particularly look out for? In mid-August, there's a really fun street party called uh, Fiestas de la Paloma, which celebrates the patron saint of uh, the La Latina neighborhood. So one thing that's really fun about Madrid is that every neighborhood has its own kind of street party. <laughs> and um, La Paloma is one of the best. And it's great because it happens in mid-August, which is a time when um, there really aren't many uh, tourists coming to Spain because it's so damn hot here. And yeah. also a lot of madrileños, um, especially ones who don't live in the city, they've left, they've skipped town because they're on the beach. 
And so what you get at La Paloma is uh, a festival that really does feel kind of local. Um, and, you know, we're talking about people grilling uh, Spanish sausages out in the street and cooking up churros also in the street. And, um, you know, people with boom boxes and kind of impromptu dance parties and um, just big, you know, big plastic cups filled with all sorts of strange alcoholic <laughs> concoctions. Um, <laughs> it's a really good time. You know, of course, there are concerts and all sorts of organized things too. But yeah, La Paloma is really great. Also, you know, one street party that we unfortunately just missed, but people should definitely keep in mind for next year, is the Fiestas de San Isidro, which happen in May. And it's sort of a similar vibe to La Paloma, but it's uh, a little bit more manageable temperature-wise because it's in May. Um, and that... Um, that festival in particular has all sorts of incredible live concerts at all the parks around the city. It's really a raucous fun time. And frankly, for people who want to enjoy something like a carnival, like Carnaval or San Fermin in Pamplona, but maybe are a little put off by the bullfighting, like I am, um, mm. San Isidro and these types of parties are just, it's, it's just pure, you know, pure fun. Great. Okay, we'll book in for next year. Definitely. I, I, actually, Benjamin, a question I have is, is how about sort of like seasonally? What what would you suggest is the best time to visit Madrid? What time of year? Wow. Um, I think Madrid is a really great shoulder season town. Um, I always recommend people come in like, you know, between April and the end of May. And then, yeah. you know, September, October are just perfect. Because Madrid really does have an extreme temperature that's just getting worse and worse every year because of the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, you just don't want to be in the street uh, in July and in August. And um, especially doing, you know, heavy tourism. If it's your first time in Spain and you come in July or August, you really want, you know, that, that's probably not the best plan because you want to make the most of your time. So I would recommend those kind of shoulder season months. Um, you know, uh, November, December, January. The winter here is chilly. It's not super cold. Um, but it can be rainy. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed without fail is I'm, um, I'm a Scorpio. My birthday is November 9th and every single year it's raining on my birthday. So it's not a very scientific study, but I would say that don't come in November and expect to be dry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. I know there's a big heat wave going on right now, Benjamin. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> thanks for joining well. us today. I'm, yes. I'm sure it's, uh, <laughs> Very, very warm right, there, right, there, right now. But yeah, it's been wonderful to get to know Madrid with you, Benjamin. Um, you've painted such a wonderful picture of it. I'm sure you've inspired lots of listeners to go. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Well, a huge, huge thank you to Benjamin James, the minute we finish this recording, yes. I think we're both going to go make, make a large snack. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think, where can I get Spanish food from that's local to here? There's nowhere. Um, Benjamin, you've really, really put us through the through, through a lot of pain on that one. But no, it's um, uh, it was a really delicious episode. Like, so much to savour. And as we were talking about at the top of the episode, um, Madrid is one place I just haven't been in Spain. I mm. love Spain as a country. And I mm. certainly think we need to make our mission to go in 2024, Lucy. Definitely. Yeah. Let's do it, James. Yeah. Let's stop talking about it and let's just do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> thanks so much to Benjamin. You can follow his adventures on Twitter at Ben K. Kemper and on Instagram at Benjamin Kemper. And don't miss his column, One Pop Bangers, on Sever.com. And I think, Lucy... We can call it a wrap on season five. That's a wrap. That's, That's a, wrap. a wrap, James. Yeah. So don't worry, listener. We have plans to be back very, very soon. But just to to say from all of us, thank you for listening this season. We've had so many great adventures. And, you know, from New Zealand to Norway to where do we? I, I'm trying to Vienna. remember. Vienna. Where did, where did we start, Lucy? Where was the first episode? Sicily. Sicily. Yeah. Wow. Uh, with Ross all all those months ago so you, i know yeah you've really we've we've traveled vicariously for our guests and yeah. you know alongside you guys so a big thank you to all of our guests all of our listeners and all of the team at tk witness as well it's been a really really fun one to make uh so we will be back with more incredible guests at destinations later in the year stay tuned but for now it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me and we shall see you very soon 
Where to Go is a podcast from DK Witness. It was produced by Julia Baker, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson with the help of Bella Talbot. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And please like and follow the show. And if you have time, leave a review. Your support means so much to us. She lived with you guys for two years and you never heard from her again after that. Please don't text me or call me again. She'd finished her art history degree and was researching a Swiss painter, Ursula Bloom. She's standing by a tree, looking right at me. Emma! Music is 100% abstract. Ursula walked up to her and whispered a song in her ear, and the girl recovered her ability to speak. Sometimes mythology merges with reality. What's going on here? Bloom is out now. Listen to it on your favorite podcasting platform. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 